Uh, well, if uh, you're new here with us, we've been working through the book of First Timothy, and uh, today we're going to be in First Timothy chapter four, verses eleven to sixteen. Um, I want to begin, uh, sort of, as a way into this text, to think a little bit about the idea of success, uh, success in life, success in ministry. Uh, success is uh, one of those things that we all want to, to some degree, but we're not always sure uh, what success should look like. Uh, we're not always sure what kind of success is best in terms of what we should uh, shoot for. Uh, there's a man who is very, very successful, uh, a man whose name you're probably going to recognize. His name was John Paul Getty, a very successful man, uh, lived from 1892 to 1976, so had a long life had a very, very uh, successful life. He was very well educated. He spoke like seven languages, very bright guy, but he's, he's most well known for his business success. He became a very wealthy man at a young age. Uh, at 22 years of age, he took $10,000 of seed money from his father and bought kind of an unused tract of land in Oklahoma and drilled and struck oil and became a millionaire in short order. It's a good recipe uh, for success. And then he took that money and he went to find an unused tract of land in Saudi Arabia. And he, he made a deal with the Saudis to drill for oil there and very quickly became uh, a billionaire. Uh, the world, uh, Guinness Book of World Records, uh, 1966, uh, called him the richest private citizen in the world. At that time, his net worth in our dollars was about $7 billion. And uh, by the time he died, he was worth about $21 billion. He was a very successful man by, <clears throat> by so many measures, uh, loved art, loved uh, culture. But the truth is that John Paul Getty, he didn't know how to handle things of real value. In fact, uh, he had many, many relationships that fell apart completely. Five marriages, uh, lots of kids that he, he rarely spent time with. Uh, a quote from him might explain this. Uh, earlier on in his life, he said, a lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you are a business failure, which uh, sort of goes to show his, his priorities. The truth is that um, he, he didn't really deal well with people at all. In fact, uh, he's most uh, infamous, most famously known for the fact that his grandson was kidnapped in the 1970s and John Paul Getty refused to pay the ransom, refused to, to deal with them at all. Uh, in fact, it took um, the kidnappers uh, cut off the ear of his grandson and mailed it to the, to the newspaper before he would start to engage with any talks and he bartered them down to the lowest possible sum that he could, he could pay. He did not know how to love people well. In fact, it, it seemed that by the end of his life, uh, he had some sense that he might have achieved the wrong kind of success. Uh, he said this also. He said, I hate to be a failure. I hate and regret the failure of my marriages. I would gladly give all of my millions for just one lasting marriage success. Uh, here was a man uh, who, probably too late in life, realized that he had been aiming at the wrong target uh, his whole life. That he had achieved success, but it, it was not really a, a valuable kind of success. I share that story because... Uh, it's also very possible for us to have a misguided idea about what is success in life. And when I say us, I, I'm, I'm talking specifically about those uh, who are part of the church, those who call ourselves Christians, those who are seeking to follow Jesus, and we collectively as the church, it's very possible for us to have some wrong views uh, towards what is, what is success and to work very hard for things that are not actually what God says is best. 
In our text today, uh, we are going to see very clearly what God says is best. And what he says, maybe not surprisingly, if you've, if you've read the Bible, is that it's salvation that is the true measure of success, especially when it comes to ministry. Ministry success should be all about salvation, spiritual life in Jesus for ourselves and for those that are in our lives. That's what, what Paul is going to tell us in this text, but he doesn't just give us the goal. It's not just a reminder about what we should shoot for. He also gives a lot of practical applications in terms of how we are to get there. This is really kind of part two in terms of our text from, from last week. So he's writing, if you remember, Paul is writing to Timothy, that's why it's called First Timothy, who is pastoring a church called to lead a church in Ephesus. And his instructions there are not just for that particular church, but for us as well. So we're going to begin here by reading uh, our passage, and then we're going to work through it verse by verse and see both the goal that we're to shoot for and, and how to get there. So here's verse 11. It begins this way. Paul writes to Timothy, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So that's God's word to us this morning. And I want to jump right to the end, just so we make clear what it is that the goal uh, for the church that Paul has set out, we see it in verse 16. He says, keep close watching yourself and your teaching, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's, that's the target. That's what this is all uh, to be working towards, for, for Timothy in particular, but for us as well. We are to get to a place where we know the saving face of faith of Christ and those around us have the opportunity to do the same. So we're going to backtrack and see how we get there. There's four clear things, four uh, things that you would add, ingredients in this recipe for success. And the first, the first is that we are to lead by example. We see that this in verse 11 and 12. In fact, Paul begins by instructing Timothy, reminding him of, of the authority he has. He says, command and teach these things. Notice it's not suggest, it's, it's not um, imply, it's command. And if you remember the context, this, this was a tough thing probably for Timothy to do. He did have the authority to command the church. He was given it by Paul. He was sent there to, to set things in order. But if, but if you remember, the Ephesian church, it has a lot of troubles because there were uh, people who were leading falsely, teaching falsely, and those people were still there. This church had not asked for Timothy to come. Timothy had not asked to have been sent there. In fact, uh, we see at the beginning that Paul uses language like, I urged you, Timothy. Like he had to convince Timothy, you need to go. This is where you need to be. It wasn't where he wanted to be. This is one of his first ministry jobs. And Timothy would have felt very overwhelmed. Uh, we know this because of the things that Paul is writing to encourage him about. And we know this, that, that he, was, he was fairly young. Uh, he would have been in his early 30s, which, depending on where you're at, might be young or old, but, but for the context, he was probably a decade younger than most of the, of the other people who were leading in the church. And so you can imagine, you know, the thoughts that are running through his mind. Man, how, 
how am I going to do this? Command these things? Man, I'll be happy if people just listen to me. If they don't, if they don't throw me out, don't drive me out. How am I going to command, speak with any sense of authority? How could this be possible? Timothy would have struggled with a, a huge sense of insecurity, which is probably something that we're pretty familiar with. Because all of us at some point have had to do something new. Uh, new, new school, new job, new parents, newlyweds, new ministry opportunity perhaps, where we are put in a position where there's something that we are called to do, some opportunity we have, and yet we feel totally overwhelmed. We feel totally insecure, and that insecurity is made even worse if there's a gap between ourselves and the people that, that we're leading or that we're called to have influence over. A gap in age, a gap in experience, in a new job, right? And you're now supposed to go and give some sort of leadership. We feel totally unprepared. I came across the story of a, of a young pastor, kind of like Timothy. His name was Herbert Palmer. He was a young Puritan pastor in England hundreds of years ago. He had just graduated from Cambridge. This was his very first ministry assignment. He was sent to this well-established church in Canterbury. And on his very first day, so imagine young, young Herbert. He was not a tall man. He looked kind of boyish. He climbed the steps up to the pulpit where he's going to preach. And from the back, there's an older woman, kind of a cantankerous woman. And she said this. She said, alas... That's how she sounded. <laughs> she, said, she said, alas, what shall this child say to us? She sounds a bit like a witch. Sorry, that's just my accent. She's not a witch. It's just my English accent. But imagine that. Imagine coming. You're all excited, ready to preach for you the first time. People call you a child. What's this kid doing up there? What's he going to tell us? That's probably how Timothy felt. Right? He was younger than everyone. And what we have here in terms of the answer to Timothy's sense of insecurity from Paul is this. Look, the way to stop people from looking down on you is to give them something to look up to, right? to, to, to lead by example. He says there in the rest of that first couple of verses, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love and faith and purity. He's saying, look, Timothy, you want people to follow you, you need to set a good example. You need to show them that you are worth following. And this comes down to the very practical pieces of life, right? How he talks, how he behaves, how he treats people. You'll notice that Paul doesn't say to Timothy, look, when you go there, you tell them I sent you. If they give you any trouble, you just, you drop my name, right? You say, look, this is how it works in the church. There's authority structures. You got to listen. He doesn't say that. As Paul knows, that's not how you get to people's hearts. The hope here, remember the goal that we're gonna, he's going to point Timothy to is salvation, saving faith, growing in faith, that people's hearts would be captivated and, and changed by the power of God and they would grow in faith. He's saying you do that, Timothy, by living a life of godliness, by showing people that, that you aren't just going to say things about faith, you're going to live a life of faith. You're going to give them an example that they can follow. This is not just good advice for the would-be pastors in the room. This is good advice for all of us. If any of us are hoping to have some influence in the lives of people around us, we need to be living lives of integrity. We need to give people an example that they can follow. Not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. That's, if we're to have any hope of reaching people spiritually, we need to live that kind of life and have that, that example of godliness. The, the challenge is, of course, that it's difficult to do that. 
It's difficult to do that in the best of circumstances. It's especially difficult if people are openly hostile towards you, right? Imagine young Herbert getting up there. How do you preach? How do you do that if there are people heckling you from the back? Thank you for not heckling me all these years. It's difficult. We don't know all of the situations that Timothy was in, but we can imagine that there would have been people who confronted him openly, publicly, a lot of gossip behind the scenes. We do actually know how Herbert responded. The story is told of how that first Sunday went. Uh, Herbert did not begin with an exhortation to obey your pastor, to follow your elders. He didn't lean hard on his position in the church. In fact, he didn't let it phase him at all. What he did was what he was called to do. He opened the Bible. He preached the gospel faithfully. He prayed for the church fervently. And the story is told that by the end of that first service, that old woman at the back who was griping, she, she was raising her hands. She was openly praising God for this young pastor that God had sent them who was faithful to the word. See, that is the, the model of, of ministry for all people young and old. And we need to be clear Again, this is written to a young pastor, but these principles are for the whole church. All of us are ministers of the gospel. All of us should hope to have some influence in the lives of people around us. So my question to you is this. You remember the language from that verse is, is Timothy, do not let no one despise you for your youth. And by that, what I take it to mean is that, Timothy, if you're going to act immature, if you're going to act youthful, then people are going to dismiss you completely. Because they're going to be like, that's, that's what we thought. He's just a kid. He doesn't know anything. But if, in, if you act in a mature way, if you give an example, then it will give you an opportunity to have influence. So my question for us is, is there something about our lives that we are giving people a reason to dismiss us, to, to despise us, perhaps? Maybe it's our youth. Maybe it's our acting immature. Maybe it's some area of impurity or ungodliness what is it about our lives? Are we giving people, are we setting an example they can follow? Or are we giving them reason to discount the words that we say? The second thing we see, apart from leading by example, is that we are to focus on the word of God. See, Paul gives Timothy that first you know, command, here's how you are to live, but then he goes right to the word. Verse 13, Paul says, until I come, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, what we see here uh, is not just an emphasis on the Word of God, but you'll notice there's also a particular sequence. What he's saying is, is when you get together, read the Bible and then teach from it, right? There's, there's a pattern here. You, you read, you teach, you exhort. Uh, this is a particular pattern that is not just for the church back then, but for the church of all time. Uh, John Stott, who's a, a theologian, uh, a scholar, he's, he comments this way. He says, It was taken for granted from the beginning that Christian preaching would be expository preaching. That is, that all Christian instruction and exhortation would be drawn out of the passages which had been read. So expository means to explain. And the idea here is that when you come to read the Bible or that you hear someone preaching from the Bible, what should happen is that someone should read the Bible and then explain it, which sort of seems obvious, except that it doesn't always go that way. Uh, as as you, you might know, uh, there's very often times when pastors or preachers will, will come and they will have ideas about things they want to talk about, and they'll begin there and then go to the Bible and find some verses that might support it. 
You see, that's, that's kind of the inverse of the pattern that we have here. Paul is very straightforward. The job of every preacher is to make clear what God is saying every Sunday morning. And not just Sunday mornings, every time that we have an opportunity to teach the Bible, to read the Bible, our goal should be, what is it that God is saying? What word is he saying to his people? We begin there, and then we teach and we apply from it. The reason this is so valuable, the reason this is the pattern we're trying to follow here at Tri-City Church, is that if we don't do that, for one, we could miss hearing what God is saying, but also... More than likely, if we're, if we're jumping around, we're sort of skimming through the Bible, selecting the verses that we think are most important, rather than going through kind of line by line, verse by verse, probably we're going to miss some of what God has for us. More than likely, uh, we are going to miss those passages which are difficult to explain, difficult to understand, controversial, uh, those, those doctrines that aren't our favorite. If a pastor is, is kind of picking and choosing his way through, we're, we're going to miss the full counsel of God, which is what we need. See, again, if our, if our goal is, is straight in mind, our goal is, is what? It's salvation. It's genuine saving faith. Not just a professed faith, but a faith that perseveres. For that to happen, we as the church need to be deep into the doctrines of the faith. We need to know how to reconcile the, the disappointments and, and trials and difficulties of life. We need to know the character of God. We need to be able to explain the hope that we have. That only happens when we know the word of God well. And what we see in Paul's life actually is that he lived this. This is how he taught. Uh, Paul was in this church in Ephesus for uh, a while, teaching and preaching. And when he left there, this is before Timothy was sent. When he left there, look at what he said. This is Acts 20, 26 and 27. He said to them, the Ephesian church, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What he's saying is, I didn't pull any punches. Right? When it came to teaching the word, I told you exactly what God wanted to say and what you needed to hear because his goal was saving faith. His goal wasn't just to make people feel good. It wasn't just for people to feel warm and fuzzy as they came together and then go away kind of with some superficial word of encouragement. His goal was that people would see their need for Christ. And so he was able to leave saying, I, I've been faithful. And that is our goal, should be our goal as the church. Again, not just from what's preached here on Sunday, but for every time that we study the Bible. I mean, how do we do it? Do, do we open... To Psalm 23 again and read it because it's great. It's great. It is. But there's other ones, right? There's a whole bunch. There's like 150 of them. All with a whole com complexity of, of doctrine and, and revealing who God is. D do we go to those passages that we are going to probably need a study Bible to help explain certain parts? Do we see those as equally valuable? When someone comes for counsel, wants to know our advice, do we just give them what we think is best? Or are we concerned with, man, I... I'd love to help you there. Let me just, and I need to spend some time. That's a tough one. Let's see what God has to say. See, as the church, this should mark how we handle scripture because we believe that everything in here is, is needful for us, that we would hear the full and whole counsel of God. So, so we're to lead by example. We're to focus on the word of God. And the third thing we see here is that we are to use our gifts. Uh, you can see Paul encouraging Timothy in this way. Here's verse 14 where he says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 
So this was at uh, probably Timothy's commissioning. The elders came and prayed for him. And at that time, there was a word of prophecy and a gift was given. We're, we're not sure exactly what it is. Probably something to do with leading and teaching. And this sounds, um, it might sound kind of special, which, which it is, but it's not unique to Timothy. See, this is, this is Paul reminding Timothy of an event and a reality, something that's true in his life. He has, he has spiritual gifts from God, but we know from other parts of Scripture, 1 Corinthians in particular, that all of us, all of us who are part of the church have spiritual gifts. We all, as Christians, those of us who call in the name of Jesus, we all have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and with that comes spiritual gifts, gifts that are to be used for the building up of the church, for the proclaiming of the gospel, gifts like teaching and hospitality and healing and prophecy. And these are important because they are in equipping for the calling that God has for us. That's kind of what Paul is saying to Timothy. Look, you've got this heavy, weighty, overwhelming call, but don't forget, you've been already equipped by God. I mean, just think of Timothy in that situation, feeling totally unprepared, totally ill-equipped, and yet the reminder really kind of a word of almost rebuke is, Timothy, don't neglect what God has already given you. It's interesting that it's phrased in the negative, I think, because it, it sort of gives the impression uh, that, for one thing, Timothy might have been neglecting his gifts, or he might have been forgetting. Also, that you need this, Timothy, don't neglect the thing that you need. And thirdly, uh, kind of the implication that I hear, especially from seeing how this goes sometimes, is if you don't use your gifts... It's not that we can lose them. They're there by the Spirit of God, who, who we can't lose, um, but it could feel like they're not there anymore. Like they could be so unfamiliar to us, the gifts that God has given us, that we could forget we even have them. This is, this is always how things work when there are useful things in our lives, right? Like just think of the muscles that God has given you. They're only as strong as the life that you're leading. So like, they may just be strong enough to get you from the couch to the fridge and back again, right? If you try to run with that body, your muscles will be like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? That's not what we do. We don't, that's not, we don't have that strength, right? You feel like this is, it would be all wrong because you've never used them. Your muscles have atrophied. If you have tools that you leave out in the yard or up on a shelf for long periods of time, you try to get them, they're all rusty. You, you can't even use them anymore. They're useful. You still have them, but man, they're clunky, unfamiliar. They're not productive. That's the sense we get here that Paul is saying, Timothy, don't neglect your gift. You got to use it. I remember a friend of mine uh, who's a, a gifted evangelist, loves sharing the gospel. And uh, I was sort of surprised one day because his, his prayer request was, um, can, can you help me to, to just, uh, to use my gifts well in sharing the gospel, to, to be able to share the gospel well? And I was like, oh, you, man, it seems to be what you do. He's like, well, man, I, I realized the other day I haven't shared the gospel in a, in a month or so. And then I had the opportunity to talk about Jesus with someone and the words were all kind of clunky in my mouth and I felt like I did a horrible job. And it was kind of a reminder to me that, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what happens, right? We get out of practice. If it's been months or years since we tried to have a spiritual conversation with someone, it's going to feel totally unfamiliar. It's going to be as if we don't have any gifting from God to do this. The danger that Timothy is facing is that he will not be able to use his gifts well but the other danger, I think for us, maybe I would say the greater danger, is that if we're not used to using our gifts, we will not put ourselves in positions where we need the gifts. See, Timothy's overwhelmed. Why? Because he's following the call of God 
to go into a, a place where, man, if, if God doesn't show up, it's going to go horribly wrong. Those kinds of situations exist for us all the time where we have opportunities to step out in faith and we think to ourselves, Lord, you need to help me. You need to give me the words. You need to give me the resources, whatever. That's the good place to be. That, that's a place where we use and are thankful for our gifts. If we stop using our gifts, we're, we're not going to put ourselves in that position. We're going to live a life that's relatively safe, that that's relatively, um, we're in control. In fact, I would hazard uh, to say that we're going to live a life that could look very successful from many points of view. We could feel as if our life is going really, really well. Why? Because we're at peace, we're secure, we never feel overwhelmed. And yet the truth is that we are so very far from the goal that God has for us that we are nowhere near having any gospel influence in people's lives because we have shrunk back, because we've, we've brought things in so close so that it's everything that we can do in our own strength. This reminder to, to Timothy is, look, Tim, you've been sent there because you're needed and you're in a position which is overwhelming, but that's not your greatest concern. God will supply the need. Your greatest concern is that you continue to step out in faith that you use the gifts that God has given you. So that's really the question. The question this text is prompting in us, are there things, are there skills, are there abilities, are there, are there ways that God has gifted us that we just have not used in a while? Are we even interested in knowing what, how God might use us? Is that ever in our prayer life? God, would, would you open my eyes, open my heart? Would you give me the words to, to share with people who need to know you? See, ministry is all about changing hearts. And just so we're clear, none of us can do that, right? None of us can, can bring people from death to life spiritually. And yet, we have the opportunity to share that saving faith as we follow the leading of God, as we use our gifts. So, so we must use our gifts. We must focus on the word. We must lead by example. And the fourth thing we have here is that we are to practice our faith. Verse 15 is really clear. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This is kind of echoing the athletic metaphor of last week about the importance of training in godliness, right? Practice, also very important for everything that we want to get better at, sports, arts, uh, trades. We need, to, we need to practice what we are doing. We need to practice what we preach. That's what Paul is saying, Timothy. Timothy, you can't just talk about these things. You need to, to live them out. He uses uh, the word immerse. You need to practice these things. You need to immerse yourself in them. And then he tells them why. So that, so that all may see your progress. This is important. It's not enough for us just to, to say the things that we think are true and that may be helpful. People need to see the progress in us. Again, physical fitness uh, example. Uh, some of you, it's the new year. You may have thought, I need to get more physically fit, right? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to, more than that, I'm going to get a personal trainer because I don't want to mess around, right? I, I don't know what I'm doing when I go there. I want someone to tell me what I should lift, how I should lift it. So imagine uh, you go to the gym, your very first session, and uh, you meet your personal trainer, and um, they do not look physically fit, okay? They are chubby. Uh, they are breathing heavy because they walked uh, out of the uh, dressing room. They have a bag of Cheetos in their arm. And uh, they begin to try to instruct you on how you should lift weights. <coughs> and you think to yourself, I'm not sure they've ever been here before, right? 
you would not have much confidence in this person because you see no evidence of the things they're doing actually working out in their lives. What you want is the guy or the gal who's had a five-mile jog before they come to help you, who's lifting weights with you as you work out with twice as much weight. You want to see the evidence of all of their teaching in their own lives. Then that would give you confidence. You would say, yeah, I I think that I might actually be helped if I listen to this person. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. You can't just say these things. The, The people need to see the progress in your life. If you're to have any hope of having any influence in the people around you, they need to see it in you. And the same is true for us. That, that if we are to speak words of truth that are effective in people's lives, they need to see our faith. And by see our faith, just so we're clear, um, I don't mean like the sanitized, airbrushed faith that you might see on social media or maybe in the lobby sometimes, right? How things going? Everything's so great. God is so good. Right? There's a few troubles, but everything is possible with God. Period. Exclamation point. What more do you need to know? That's not a real faith. That's not really helpful for people. Right? Our, our goal is, is not that people look at us and they say, wow, wow, they're so godly, they're so amazing. That's not helpful. Mostly because it's not true. What they need to see is our genuine faith. They need to, they need to see our ups and our downs, our struggles. What we really want is for people to get to know us to the point where they can see, wow, man, God has done amazing things in their life. Like they have been humbled by God. They've been shaped by God. I can see God work in them. And that's a question I think that might be helpful for us to ask. If you're a believer here in the room and your goal is to grow, your goal is to help people, you might ask the people who know you, do you see any progress in me? could be an encouraging thing. Hopefully it would be. Because we can't always see the progress that God is doing. They hopefully will be able to say, actually, yeah, actually here and here. Remember two years ago, you were like this, but man, I've seen seen God work. Praise God. Could be a convicting thing though. Could be a thing where, where you realize that, man, you haven't really been able to show the progress that you would want for people to see. So the question for us is what, are, what, not just what are we saying, but what is our lives? What are our lives saying about the things that we say? Is there a connection there? Is there integrity? Is there progress that people can look to? Now, the final verse, the final verse actually kind of wraps up all, all of these four things, especially the beginning part. Uh, verse 16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. That's really what we've been talking about, Timothy, what you teach, how you live. But then, then we get to the, To the goal, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's that's the success that Paul is aiming for. He wants Timothy to aim at that salvation for yourself and for others. Now, uh, sometimes it's a bit confusing, that verse, because it seems like, some people will say, it seems like what Paul is doing is taking salvation, putting it in Timothy's hands. Saying, Timothy, you got to go and save people. Go and do, if you do it well, people will be saved. That's not really what he's saying, not fully. What Paul is doing is talking about salvation from a, a gospel-sharing point of view. What he's saying is that there, there is salvation only in Jesus, but through God's sovereign plan, the church, people, have been called to share that with others. We see this dynamic uh, in Romans. Uh, Romans 10, uh, this is also written by Paul, and he says this, beginning in verse 13, 
He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the key. Just in case you're not clear, that is what salvation is all about, that we would call on Jesus and as Lord and Savior, that we would believe in his life, death, and resurrection in that is spiritual life, true eternal life. The next part there, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So it's not just enough to know the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. We need to believe this is true for for us personally. We need to put all our hopes, recognize that without God, we are condemned in our sin. And yet with Jesus, all of that condemnation has been placed on him. We need to believe it. But that's not enough either. Look, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So the gospel is enough, but the question is, well, how are people going to hear about it? People don't know. People in our cities who don't know. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the the role of the church. That there is one key to salvation. One answer to the hopes of humanity. And that is Jesus himself. He is the one who answers the, 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 the death that comes to us through sin. And yet the, in God's sovereign plan, he has brought the church to be the ones to share that with, with humanity. We know that there are people all over, people here in this room as well, some of us who have not come to the place where we, we call Jesus Savior and Lord. Our, our job as, as the church is, is to be the ones who are faithfully proclaiming that. Not, not obnoxiously proclaiming that, just so we're clear. Not ramming it down people's throats. Not, I mean, call to persistence, yes. To invite to Alpha, yes. But not to the point that we're annoying everyone around us. We want to genuinely, lovingly, compellingly give people an opportunity to see the thing that God says is best for them. And we do that by being faithful. We do that by knowing what the target is. The target is that people come to a place where they have to make a decision about Jesus. Who is he? What did he do? Do I need him? See, Paul's saying to Timothy, look, Tim, remember, that's your goal. That, that's what all of this is leading to. There's a lot of the things that the church can do. There's a lot of other things that we can occupy our time with, but if that is not at the, at the center of all of our aims, then we're missing it. Then we'll end up a year from now, five years from now, having had a lot of great time together, done a lot of maybe practical helps, a lot of ministry programs, and yet, and yet not had a lot of people know Jesus. The goal is, is actually quite clear in Scripture. The challenge for us as individuals and as the church is to make sure that we, we keep the main thing, the main thing. You'll notice that, that Paul says to Timothy, persist in this. There's this idea that, that man, Timothy, you have to work at this a bit. It's not going to be just a natural thing for you to stay in the middle. You're going to drift from one side to the other. There's going to be obstacles and difficulties. You're going to get waylaid and distracted. You need to persist. Persist in all of these things so that people will be saved. I thought we'd end uh, with a picture of a, a pastor at the end of his ministry life. Timothy's at the very beginning, right? Young guy, one of his first jobs in ministry. This pastor, his name is Thomas Beston. Uh, he was at the end, in fact, the very end. Uh, he was a pastor from Scotland in the late 1700s, pastored a little church there, had done so for decades, and he became very, very ill. So ill, in fact, that he could not leave his bed. And so what he started to do uh, was instead of going to the church building and everyone gathering there, the church would come to him. 
So we had this little cottage, and every Sunday they would open the window, and everyone would come outside and listen. He would preach to them out of his window. And uh, as he, you know, got near the end, uh, he didn't get lighter in his preaching, okay? This is his last sermon. His last sermon was called The Necessity of Self-Examination, right? That's, that's what he preached to his congregation. You need to examine yourself. You need to make sure of your faith. You need to make sure of your eternal salvation. And here's the quote that I, I loved. This is from his final uh, sermon. He said, Bend all endeavors and all attention to gain a blessed and happy eternity. I love that language of bending because the impression it gives is that something's going to have to change, right? Whatever it is that you have in mind as a goal for your life, if you see the, the ultimate end as an eternal end, then you're going to want to bend and shape and, and acquire the thing that is going to make you happy, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. See, see that's why... Christian preaching and teaching tends to have a lot of absolutes, a lot of ultimate, a lot of forevers, because it's about eternity. Because you can't truly measure success without taking into account the fact of eternity. There are a lot of good things that we can do on this earth. There's a lot of good things that our life can be about. There's a lot of success that we can enjoy here on this earth. But it does not account for the eternity that is to come. And what Thomas Beston is saying to his people is, look, make sure if you do anything that you have a blessed and happy eternity, which is only found in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who was raised to life again after death. Jesus is the one who went to the cross to take the eternal penalty of death upon himself. Jesus is the one that we have the, the privilege, the joy as a church of pointing people to. And if we miss that, we've missed everything. Paul's word to Timothy is equally true to us. That, that we, we should be so excited, so joyful, and so persistent in crafting our ministry and our lives around the person of Christ. So that as people know us, as they see us live, as they hear us speak, we would have opportunities to share this eternal truth with them. So, my prayer for us as a church, at the beginning of this new year, I think this is a great part of the Bible to go through at this time, is to think by next year, for us as a church, for you as an individual, as you look back, what are you going to think was a successful year? Like if you had to write down on paper, here's what, here's what I want to have happen this year, what would you be satisfied with? My hope is that if you're a believer in the room, that, that it would be about the things of salvation, that you would seek to grow in your faith, that you might have opportunities to share with others, that you would have the joy of seeing people say yes to Jesus, or at least question the things of, that they believe in. There's a lot of the things on that list, I know, but that that would be at the top that we would see that God gives us that for a reason because his concerns for us are always eternal, ultimate concerns. And his desire for us is to have eternal, ultimate joy. And that should be our goal for ourselves and for the people around us. So I'd like you to join with me. We're going to pray into that for us as a church and for the year to come. Lord God, I, I do thank you for this portion of 1 Timothy. I thank you, Lord, that just in the way things worked out, that we are here at the beginning of the year, 
talking a lot about what it means to, to train for godliness last week and to, to really shoot for the, the ultimate goal of our life and ministry. And so, God, I pray for us as a church. I pray, Lord, that indeed these things would captivate our hearts and our mind. I pray, Lord, for those that are, that are here that would not consider themselves as part of the church. I pray, Lord, that even in this sermon, even in this, these words from you in Scripture that, that point to Jesus as being the thing of ultimate value, I pray, Lord, you'd be doing spiritual work in their hearts. God, I pray for all of us that we would not, we would not be satisfied with a success that lasts only 80 or 90 years. Lord, that we would not, we would not realize too late that we've been aiming at the wrong bullseye. I thank you, Jesus, that, that this thing that you give, this salvation, is actually not something that we need to do for ourselves. Jesus, you've done the work. I pray that you would help us to, to not only come to faith, but to persist in it, to live lives that honor you as individuals and as a church so that more and more people in our community, more and more people in our lives would have the saving hope of Christ. Lord, may that be the measure of success for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.